seems to smack me in the chops, which is exactly what I need to hear every week. And um, like I said, I'm not a professional, but, and I'm going to try and do my best this evening um, because God has been kind of working on my heart. And um, not too nervous about tonight because, and I think the reason is, is because I love God's Word. And when, when I started looking into what I was going to be talking about and when I started thinking about it and praying about it and losing sleep over it and getting up in the middle of the night and typing and, and writing out my notes and thinking of things, and I just I get all excited because I love God's Word. And there's nothing I like better than um, getting in front of a few people. It's usually a lot smaller, like 10, 15 in my home team, and we get to talk about God's Word. Um, and so I am... I'm so excited to be up here and excited about what God has put on my heart. And um, as I started thinking about what I was going to be sharing, uh, started preparing to think about what God wanted me to say in this message, um, you know, I had lots of thoughts going through my mind. Um, Pastor Tom had spoken to me a couple months ago and just kind of put a bug in my ear about, okay, maybe something's coming. Maybe something's coming. I might have you speaking. Uh, just kind of hinting at, at speaking here. And I, I hadn't necessarily been dreading um, preaching, but I am a pastor's kid, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, Dad. My dad's here. My mom's here. My, my crazy sister is here with signs. Yeah, it says, yo, bro. So um, if they pop up, you know, if she's trying to get me to smile or something, I, I, might, I might laugh a little, but sorry. Um, <clears throat> like I said, I, ha- I haven't really been dreading preaching, but it, it's not really, it hasn't really been high on my list of things that I wanted to do. Um, and it, it's really kind of one of those things that some of us say, oh, God, anything but that, anything but that. Um, but God put a hunger for his word in my heart. And sometimes we get an opportunity to share and sometimes we've got to step out and do something we're a little bit uncomfortable doing or something we don't do every day, and God will turn around and bless us for it. Um, like most of the challenges that we, uh, we, can, we can prepare, uh, they prepare us for tougher or maybe greater things down the road. My thoughts uh, as I prepared were I just wanted to put into action the things that I had learned um, and am in the process of learning. My mind played through the scriptures, I've been going over and over and over, and the dozens of podcasts I've listened to over the past five months as I ride my bike to work. I wanted the perfect message. I didn't want to sweat. I didn't want these spotlights on. on. And I got my my hanky because they're off. They are off. Because I get hot up here, and I might be using that a little bit. Um... But they're not on, and I'm so glad for that. Oh, man, I was praying about it. Because um, I don't like to sweat. And you know what? The light's up here. If you guys looked at my dad, my, head, my forehead's kind of getting bigger, too. Um, and I'm kind of doomed, but those lights kind of draw it out. Um, so uh, I was really worried about that. But I told myself, um, you know, you want to you wanna have the words that he puts in me, not my words, you know, um, Pastor Shelby brought that up a couple weeks ago, talking about um, when we want to share what God's words are, not our thoughts, not our feelings, because our our thoughts and feelings often lie. 
Um, <clears throat> and I told myself I wanted, I wanted all these things so I could better serve you. And there was a lot of eyes in my thoughts, a lot of um, self-absorbed or selfish focus. I was thinking about myself. Um, then I remember, remembered a quote that I've had on my calendar the last couple months, and, and I think Tom's quoted it before too, and it says, if I do what I've always done, I'll get what I've always got. If I do what I've always done, I'll get what I've always got. And I don't want to do what I've always done because I'm not satisfied where I'm at. I don't want to be where I'm at now in five years, ten years, not even a year from now. If I'm not different in a year from now, there is something wrong with me. There's something wrong with this picture. <clears throat> couple of, pair that with a couple of verses, that one verse in particular that we've been hearing over the past uh, few weeks, and every once in a while it'll come up, and it's not Jeremiah 29:11. it's Revelations 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And as I was thinking about this and not wanting what I've always had, I want something different, and I thought of that first part of that, that verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I just felt, and I personalized that verse and said, and was thinking to myself, that God seemed to be knocking on my heart. He seemed to be trying to get me to listen up, get the eye out of here, and start listening to me. Because if I get up here and tell you what I want, or what I think, I'd have, I've got to watch my words here, I'd have most of you ticked off, you know, by the time we were done here. Um, and I don't want to do that. Um, I want to share God's thoughts. Um, I felt, you know, God was trying to knock on my heart, trying to wake me up, get me to remember how my life goes when I drive, when I'm in control, when I'm trying to control all the avenues of, of life, all the investments and, and job and how much money I'm making and, you know, pampered chef shows and watching the kid and, and uh, you know, basketball games and football games that i got to work at and home teams and everything. I'm trying to think about all those things, but when I try and control everything, I've got problems. <clears throat> and that's when I ask myself the question, am I all in? And what I mean by that is, I, am I fully committed to what God wants for me? Am I willing to sell out, sell out everything that I care about solely for God? And so I properly titled my, my message, Am I All In?, because I think it's an important question that we ask each and every one of ourselves. And, you know, this weekend, I thought it was kind of funny when I thought of the title because we have Texas night. We're going to play a little poker. Um, but those of you that are not familiar with the game of poker, um, when you go all in, you take all your chips and you shove them into the middle and you bet everything on one hand. And it's a bet, so you're taking a chance. Um, hoping that uh, you win and everybody else loses and you get all their chips. Um, the benefit is if you win, you get all their chips that were bet against you. And if you lose, you lose all the chips, all of your chips, and you're out of the game. And I think oftentimes when we're looking at certain decisions that we make in our life, we look at them as if we're pushing every chip out on the board. And that if we make this one decision for a job or this one decision, you know, uh, with our kids or with, with our wife, that we could lose everything. And um, God doesn't look at our decisions the same way. He's got a different perspective. You know, we're stuck 
looking down 45 feet off the top of the zip line like that picture is and all we see is 45 feet below and we'll talk about that in a little bit but so today I'm kind of going to talk about um, take us through a journey and talk about six things that keep us from being all in and because I like taking notes and I lose stuff as I'm following Tom because he's like going a mile a minute and, and I have to listen to the podcast and stop it and renote it and everything. I'm going to list these. The six things are life and responsibility, being creatures of habit, glass ceilings, guilt, failure, and fear. My first one is uh, life's responsibi- life and responsibility can keep us from being all in. We become so busy with everything that we're doing, work, ball games, little league, you know, uh, yard sales and weekend plans and barbecues and home teams and mops and everything that we're involved in, worship practice and everything that we become too busy. We become... And, and oftentimes we fill ourselves with stuff that's not necessarily related to God. has nothing to do with our relationship with Christ. You know, I love 24. I love to watch the, the, the show 24. It's my favorite show on TV, but yeah, I see you. I see you. Jack Bauer is my hero. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, if I haven't taken care of myself for a day and I'm going to set what I need to do with, with my creator aside just to watch a TV show or the NBA Finals coming up, or uh, the Mariners play. I love to see Griffey bat every time, but don't have the time. Um, We can become so busy with our responsibilities of life that we put off the ones that really matter. And it seems like a great excuse because, you know, when my daughter's old enough, I want to go watch her play t-ball. I want to sign her up for every sport there is, soccer, t-ball, you know, gymnastics, I don't care. I want her to do whatever she wants, and I want to go see everything. Um, and I, I just like to stay busy, and I've got a busy wife, so that makes me doubly busy. Um, but because we get so busy with the life stuff, we end up kind of eroding the fabric of our faith because we lack exercising the things that we're supposed to do. <clears throat> Two people, and I'm not... Uh, the first person I'm going to talk about is Nehemiah. He's an example of somebody who had great passion for God. And the decisions that he had to make were definitely not easy and moved him out of his normal life, you know, the things that he normally did. But he did it to commit himself to be all in. And if you know anything about Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a king while the Jews were in captivity. And he heard through some people that came back to where he was in captivity that um, the people that were still in Jerusalem were having a hard time. They were trying to rebuild the city. They had people all around them that were not of their, of their nation. They were not Jews. And they couldn't build the wall. And when he heard the news, there's a scripture that, he, that I have here, Nehemiah 1.4. He says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I like that's not really that crucial of a scripture to me, except the question that I have for us is can prayer or fasting, 
or um, mourning, can those things become a sin? And, boy, I heard this about a month ago. I was at a conference in Pasco, and um, the speaker said, can prayer become a sin? And I was like, whoa, this could be interesting. Um, but when he explained it, what, happens, what happened with Nehemiah it is um, Nehemiah prayed, and then he did something. Okay, if we're sitting and we're praying every day, if we had a whole congregation of people that all you did is prayer, that's it, we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't have greeters, we wouldn't have ushers, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a pastor, we, wouldn't have, we would just be a congregation of people that prayed. And so we wouldn't really accomplish much. And I love to pray. I like my morning time in prayer. But if I don't do something with what I'm praying for, I've got problems. You know, sometimes we're approached with a situation where, and I hear this all the time, you can hear it in the halls of church, almost every single church I've been to. Somebody will come to one of their friends and say, hey, I just need you to pray with me. I've got this and this and this going on in my life. Or I need this. Or whatever the situation may be. Oftentimes, when I've had people approach me, I have a way to help them. And I'm like, sure, I'll pray with you. Lord Jesus, can you just help my brother? And I prayed, but I didn't do jack. I didn't do anything. I just prayed. But I had the answer to their prayer. So in that instance, I would, I would argue a little bit, and this is a little bit what I think, I guess. <laughs> I would say that if you are praying, but you are not doing anything, you are sinning. We've got to get with it. So, Nehemiah, what did he do to stay all in? He did something. He, he was a cupbearer for the king, like a servant. Um, the king didn't have to uh, keep him. If the king didn't like him, if he displeased him, if he was sad or anything, the king could say, get him out. I don't want to see him. He's done. And he could do that, Tony. But what happened is Nehemiah was before the king and he was a little bit sad, upset, because he had been mourning and praying about, you know, his city, Jerusalem, that it had not been built up. The wall hadn't been built up. And the king asked him and he, he took a risk. He'd mourned, he'd prayed, he'd fasted, and now he's going to take a risk. And he told the king, you know, told him what was up. My city, my country is a mess. You know, we have people surrounding us that are not our people. And they're intruding and bothering and preventing us from success and health and wealth in our country. And the king said, great. Go take care of it. Go build a wall. So the cupbearer became the builder. And, boy, if I was just serving the king a cup, you know, checking it to see if anybody put anything in there... Um, I probably wouldn't be too knowledgeable about that. And I think oftentimes we look at things that God calls us to do and, we're th and we think, nope, not me. I'm too nervous. I can't talk to people. I can't get up on the platform. I can't shake people's hand when they come in. But the reality of it is, is God has given us passions in our heart. And what this really was was a passion that God had given Nehemiah. And I don't expect each and every one of us to lead a home team or teach kids in, in the kids' church or 
get up on the platform, but there are, each and every one of us have passions in our heart. And we need to pursue those passions. And if we're just praying about what, what God's going to do, um, like I said, we've got to pursue those passions. Act on your prayer. Um, one of the terms that I really like about this is Nehemiah was being responsible with his life as a servant. He was serving the king. He was doing his job, apparently pleasing to him. Um, and he kind of had, he probably fought that battle of do I stay responsible to what I'm doing? Do I stay responsible to the king and my job and what I'm, how I'm serving people? And, and I bet he thought, boy, if I ask the king this, it's going to seem really irresponsible. It's, it's, just, it's just way irresponsible. I could die. But he, he made a choice to be responsibly irresponsible. He was responsible to God first and not his own well-being because he had sought God. Um, and so responsibly irresponsible. And that was when he decided to do that, that was when he was really all in. Um, and to finish the story, he built the wall. Um, so, yeah. Um, there's a scripture. Let's see, what's my time, Tony? Okay. Okay. Um, there's a scripture that I liked, um, and I, I hadn't really read this much in, until this last couple weeks, and it's Mark 16:20. And this has nothing to do with Nehemiah, but everything to do with what we're talking about as far as um, being all in and thinking about the possibilities of what God can do. Um, it goes like this, And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with the signs that followed. And you can read the rest if you want, but I'm, I'm really concerned about that portion right there. And... Um, the thing that really caught me when I looked at this verse was signs that followed. And I was like, what? Signs that followed? Man, God, I'd love for you to just fix everything before I get there. And it, it's kind of funny. Um, I think sometimes we want to serve a God, a little g God, Instead of a big G God. And uh, this verse right here, they went out first. God expects us to act. And then signs will follow. You know, um, I don't want to get too far off track, but we'll get there. Um, but we got to take action. We got to take actions. The second point, finally. We are creatures of habit, and our habits can keep us from being all in. You know, there's some habits that are really healthy. You know, I like to work out. Right now I'm kind of on the bicycling trip, 10 miles to work, 10 miles back. Um, but if you think about working out and you think about going to the club and meeting a trainer or just getting into a program where that's what you want to do, if you do the same thing every day for the whole workout, like if all I did was push-ups for an hour every day, I'd probably be tired, and I'd have great triceps, 
but that's all I'd be. If my goal was to lose 20 pounds and all I did was push-ups, what am I going to be stuck with? Great triceps. That's right, great triceps. Um, but if you really want to get in shape physically, you've got to mix it up. You've got to mix it up. You've got to do a lot of different things. You've got to do some cardio. You've got to do some weights. You might have to take one of those silly step classes. You know, what is that, what is that class you took? right before you had the baby? Zumba? Boy, I, I took one of those classes with my wife. He kicked my butt. I mean, he just killed me. Um, but if you want to get in shape, you've got to do a variety of things physically. Now, the same thing's true with our spiritual walk. And I'm going to make a confession here. Um, oh, man, I'm getting old. It's probably been about 20 years ago, Dad. Um, my dad said, Jeremy, if you read your Bible through front to back, I'll give you 50 bucks. And I kind of percolated on that for a little while. That's probably a couple years. I didn't really forget it. Well, um, <laughs> I'm not going to get the 50 tonight. I'm not going to get it. Um, but anyways, I, I did eventually make that decision. When I was 18, I think that was the first year I read the Bible through. Um, and part of it was because I wanted to stick it to my dad. But the other part of it was because I knew I was going to go away from home and I needed to get deeper in God's Word. Um, <clears throat> so since then, I've made it a habit. It's something I do. Every night or every morning, whichever stage of life I'm in. Right now it's mornings, 5 o'clock. Get up get it done, get on the bike, go to school. But it's something, a couple years ago, I remember we lived in Bellevue in the apartment, and my wife was frustrated at me because it didn't matter. We'd go out, hang out with friends, I'd come back. One in the morning, I'd get the Bible out, you know, read my Bible, you know. Um, we'd get in, we'd go to bed early, I'd get out the Bible, read my Bible, you know. And some days, I don't know if you've ever done any reading before where you just read it and you're like, what is that that I just read? But some days, my good habit, the good, the th good thing that I was doing, become just a ritual. It was just what I did. I didn't get anything out of it some days. I didn't really try. I just read my Bible. It was a good habit, but it wasn't really healthy. I was just getting big triceps. Yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you all the stories. I mean, I talked her through uh, Old Testament historical books in about three hours, and she got an A on the test. Uh, I wish I would have taken that class. It would have been the easiest class I took. Um, but I needed to exercise. And, and I would say that if we need to exercise, uh, Dad, I'm st I am still looking for that 50 bucks. Um, I wasn't all in. That's what I'm saying. I wasn't all in. I wasn't all, all the way committed. I didn't spend time in prayer like I should. I didn't fast. Fast? I like eating. I didn't, and I'll tell you what, my dad kept buying me Christian books. I hate Christian books. I hate Christian books. And now all I want to do is read Christian books. I don't know what's up. Um, but... I didn't memorize scripture. I didn't pray as much as I should. I didn't listen to the Christian radio much. 
um, didn't even witness that much. I mean, within my church, hanging out with my small group, you know, I could talk the talk. I mean, I'd read the Bible a lot more than my friends had, but I didn't challenge myself other than just reading God's Word. When I began doing these things, it really did make me uncomfortable. And uh, Tom mentioned this phrase, I think last Sunday, being comfortably uncomfortable. Um, and, and that phrase, I guess, would mean, it, it's from Ed Young, uh, from Vision. Um, if you're just sitting comfortable, you're not growing. You really need to add a little bit of, a little bit of discomfort there. You know, like when you're working out, if you're not hurting, you're not doing anything. You know, if I ride my bike and it's, oh, the river's great. I love the sunrise. I hate this bridge. I'm just going to go slow. If I just ride my bike like that, I'm not doing anything, and it's going to take me an hour to get there. But if I'm pushing, if I'm, if I'm driven, if, I got that, if I'm listening to my, uh, God's Word on my, my iPod, if I'm, I've got my prayers going, if I'm pushing myself as far and as fast as I can, I'm going to get there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hurting when I get, get to work. I've got to walk up the stairs. When I get there, I take the elevator because I'm just dying but, you know, if I'm not pushing myself spiritually, you know, you should be feeling it. I mean, you should be, you read a book, you might have to put it down. If you're reading God's Word, if you're memorizing scriptures, you, you're probably going to be hurting. You might be experiencing things that um, you learn something. It seems like you learn something and then you get challenged right immediately, right after, with what you learned. So if you are challenging yourself, if you're mixing it up in your relationship with Christ, you're going to be uncomfortable. But it's something that we need to do if we want to be all in in our relationship with Christ. <clears throat> the third part, glass ceilings keep us from being all in. And what I mean by glass ceilings, they're kind of these self-imposed things that we put above us or around us. We assume that we're not good enough, we're too old, we're too young, too experienced, too inexperienced, too educated, undereducated. The excuses go on and on and on for things that we, we uh, put above us to keep us from doing what God calls us to do. So I asked myself a question about a character in the Bible that I really like. What if David said he was too young to fight Goliath? 1 Samuel 17, 33. Saul answered David, You can't go and fight this Philistine. You're too young and inexperienced. And he's been fighting at he's been at this fighting business since before you were born. Some of us think we're too young. We've got all the excuses that and we've we've all heard them. Tom's preached messages about some of these excuses. But if we're all in, we've got to make a choice to make some action. You know, another person that comes to mind, what if Abraham believed he was too old to start a family? Genesis 17, 1 and 2, when Abraham was 90 years old, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am 
God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. That means he's going to have kids. He's 99. Abraham, the next verse, uh, Genesis 21.5, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. That is crazy talk. That is crazy. Uh, I doubt I'll live to be 99, but... Um, Holy smokes, if I had a kid at 99, I do not know what I would do. Good thing they lived a whole lot longer back then. But the point of it is, is, is uh, Abraham was all in. He had faith in God, that God would provide for him, that God would increase him, that God would grow his family to outnumber the stars. So... We need to put off those glass ceilings and decide that these, these excuses for inexperience, overeducated, all these things, they don't matter. We need to get in somewhere. I'm not saying that if you haven't had an education that you shoot for being a pastor next week. That doesn't make sense. What I'm saying is that we all need to start somewhere, each and every one of us. Um, and it might be just being a greeter. And you might just realize that when you get out there and people are smiling back at you, it's not too hard to shake their hand and say hi. The next point, guilt, can keep us from being all in. And I kind of look at guilt as one of the oldest tricks in the book. It really is. We all feel guilty for things that we've done, some of us more than others. Some of, some of us really feel guilty for things that have been done to us. You know, whether you were divorced and it wasn't your fault, or you were a kid and, and your parents were divorced and you feel guilty. Um, often, it, it doesn't have to be that you did it. You might have that perception that you had something to do with it, but we all have kind of an uh, element of guilt within us. Um, <clears throat> the person that uh, I thought of when I thought of guilt was Peter. Peter, uh, he cut off one of the high priest's ears. Then he goes in and follows Jesus. And uh, the story in Luke 22, I'll just read it. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. Next one. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat there in the firelight, looked intently at him and said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Keep going. We're going to read all the way through it. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, and he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, when he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I'm looking at Peter, and I'm thinking, you know, I like Peter's work. I mean, I like what he's got in the book. 
I like what God inspired him to write and do and participate in. But this could have made everything just crash down around him. He could have lived with this guilt and never done anything. Never done anything. And, um, you know, I, I read in a book um, that this instance in Peter's life, you could, well, first of all, does anybody know anything about Pavlov's dog? That experiment and all that. Uh, Pavlov was a interesting guy, and one of the experiments that he did was um, he would ring a bell and then feed a dog. And he kept doing this and to see if, well, and what happened is he'd ring the bell and the dog's mouth would begin to salivate. Um, and the author of this book that I was reading said, he was talking about how, boy, that rooster crow that Peter probably woke up to every morning could have easily been like that bell that rang and reminded him of, oh, man, my Christ, my Savior. I didn't stand up for what I believed in. And just torn him up inside, just ate him alive. So he could have been reminded of that forever. But this other scripture that I found that this author I was reading um, had, it was uh, John 21, 15 through 17. Um, <clears throat> and if you look at the scripture, it could be viewed as something that was given to help reprogram his mind. A new bell. Something different. Something that Christ gave him the opportunity to kind of rewire him. And the scripture, we have that one, I think. Oh, we don't. Okay. I probably threw this in. Sorry. It, it's, uh, I'll tell you the story. Um, it was after Jesus had died. Uh, the fishermen, the disciples were, were fishermen. They were probably a little bit bummed, and they went out and they went fishing. Uh, it's not a bad way to get over, you know, a bad day or two. Um, go fishing. But they were still kind of bummed, and so was Peter. Um, so what happened is they're out in the boat, and there's a man on the shore, and Peter realizes, hey, is that, is that who I think it is? Is that, is that my Christ? Is that Jesus? And he, he you know, he's kind of stripped down because he's fishing. He's probably all dirty. So he throws on his robe, and he jumps in the water, and he swims to shore. And everybody else, you know, comes in too. There's a whole bunch of fish. And after that, there's a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And he asks him a question. And he asks him the same question. And he says, Simon, do you love me? And there's some, I'm going to take out the filler, but he says, yes, Lord. And Jesus said, tend my, tend my lambs. Then, then he said to Peter again, do you love me? And of course, Peter's a fisherman. He's probably like, what? I just told you the answer. He says, yes, Lord. And Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. A minute later or whatever it was, he says, do you love me, Peter? And, you know, I'm sure Peter's a little perturbed. He's like, how long have you been dead, you know? You know all things. You know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus says, tend my sheep. And what I got from that scripture is that Jesus didn't care. 
that guilt didn't matter. He denied him. But should we live in it? Should we, should we think about what has been done to us or what we have done to somebody else or the words we've said or the action we took? If we live in that, Peter would have been just a failure. He wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything. But those three times that Jesus said, you know, what did he say? He said, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Jesus was willing to use him no matter what. No matter what. Don't let your guilt, don't let your hurts, don't let your, your experiences that just grate at you that you can't fix, you can't go back 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, don't let those hold you back from what God has for you. I love that. Because I've got lots of junk too. Um, the next one is failure. Failure can keep us from being all in. I love that Peter got back in. I love it. And when I think about failure, um, you know, you can think about a lot of things that you do throughout your life. And when I thought about this one, I, d I didn't necessarily think about failures of people in the Bible. There's lots of people that failed in the Bible and, got, and they were um, forgiven and sought God and sought repentance and turned their life around and God continued to use them. But when I think about failure, it's a little easier for me to identify with when I think about myself. And, you know, not, not everybody here knows me, but um, preacher's kid, wouldn't trade it for the world, moved up to Seattle, went to school, um, had a lot of fun up there at the college, in a Christian college um, at Northwest, uh, worked at the college for three years, loved every minute of it. I, if, if you're going to go to college, Christian college is awesome. It's expensive, but it is awesome. Um, <clears throat> But had some experiences, worked there uh, at the school, then worked for a company uh, cleaning residential windows and all this junk, and was going to start my own business. But before I did that, um, I, me and a buddy had put money down on a business plan, and we're going to start a business about a month or two out. And I got a call to become a police officer. And um, it was something that I'd been thinking about for four or five years. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to do it is because there's a few aspects of confrontation that I like. Um, I, I have learned that it's easier to confront like this than it is when I care about you. I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody that I have to confront, and so uh, I'd rather do it with a gun, but it's, it's not my passion. It's not my passion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I started, uh, I think I started our anniversary in uh, August 1st, 2006, 5, I don't remember. And um, immediately out on the street uh, with a partner and doing all kinds of crazy stuff, like three days in, had guns out on a house, and I'm like, holy smokes, this is great. This is fun. I love this stuff. Um, had gotten big fights and and, you know, we won, yeah, I was excited about that, and big old guy, and, and we were scared, but we, yeah, we won. Um, went to academy, was a squad leader, really successful there, um, top, I don't know, top 20% of the class or so, 
had a, a group of people that were under me that I was in charge of, was a leader, you know. Um, came back from academy all excited. Uh, graduated in March that year, uh, March 29th, I think. And uh, came back, got on the road, and uh, was... You know, it just didn't work. It didn't, uh, I, don't, I, I struggled to know where to blame it. Because when I think about it, I, you know, you think about how you fail and you ask questions to yourself. Was I not good enough? Was it the new PTO program, training program? Was it my field training officer? Was it uh, that I uh, didn't want to act like uh, everybody that I went up to wanted to kill me? Um, was it that... Everybody in the back seat, you know, could have some disease and, and they hate you and everybody I hung around with was negative and the language was terrible and, and I was, you know, less of me was rubbing off on them than them was rubbing off on me. You know, I, I just struggle with all the stuff, all the questions that I, you know, was I not good enough? Could I not done it? Um, and so I struggle with that. And and I remember Kendra and I were talking about this the other day and and uh, we were talking about when I, I had resigned one day um, towards the end of the training and it, it just just didn't work and uh, I think it was in her mom and dad's uh, spare bedroom and I can remember and she remembered too that I came in and said I'm sorry I failed you and it was just a job. It wasn't that big of a deal. But at that time, I'd left my whole 12 years of life in Seattle. And we'd just gone into a house, and, we'd, and I had failed. <laughs> and I look back on it now, and I kind of chuckle at myself, um, even though it still stings a little bit. It's kind of funny now, because God used that failure to change me. We could have got up and left. We could have went back to Seattle. We had a church that we were involved in. We had lots of friends. We loved, well, we didn't love all the weather. Loved about a third of the weather. Um, we loved the area. We loved the people. We loved, there was so much there for us. I could have went back and started that business up. And, you know, my buddy in the first year, he was, you know, his own business. He was debt-free in a year and making good money. And I was like, great, that would have been nice. Um, but I would have just went back to being comfortable. I would have just went back to what I knew. I would have went back to what I knew I could control, my strength, what I could do in my own power. And um, I kind of had to make a decision with that failure. You know, what am, what am I in this for? Am I all in this for my success, for me, the lots of eyes? Or am I all in this for my Savior? And I probably kind of wallowed in it for a month or two. But what I came to realize that I had to be all in. I don't know anything else. I don't want anything else. I could lose my home. I could lose everything. But all I want is I want to have a relationship with my Lord. And um, there's a scripture here. Isaiah, did I give you guys that one? 26. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind 
both its inclination and its character stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. You know, I failed. But you know what? That didn't define me. That means nothing to me. I learned from it. And honestly, without that failure, I wouldn't have had the last couple years. And the last couple years have been crazy. But really, it's kind of been the ride of my life. And so, I'll just embrace the failure. I'm going to go on doing what God has called me to do. Because I know nothing else. I'm going to lean on Him. I'm going to commit myself to Him. And hope confidently in Him. That was five, right? Okay, fear's the last one. Fear can keep us from being all in. And fear, if you think about fear, is kind of based on our own perspective. And uh, I have this picture up here, and uh, I'm about 45 feet off the ground, and I'm looking at my problem. And anybody know what ropes course stuff is? Zip line, anything like that? Well, I'm on the, on the platform for the zip line. And uh, I'm actually, a, my father-in-law, Chris, is a facilitator down there, and I'm a new facilitator down there, a couple years. And uh, it's a fun activity, but I went down there and took some pictures this week because I thought this was appropriate on how we often look at our fears. We look at our fears, and that is it. You know, I look at my fear of losing a job. How's the finances going to come? I could just focus, 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 finance, finance, finance. Now, what's going to happen? Where's the money going to come in? Or, you know, you got problems in your marriage. You're just focused on that marriage. You're just looking only at the problem. When, if you've done what God's Word tells you to do, if you've been digging in, you've been exercising those spiritual muscles, if you've been praying, you've been reading, you've been studying, you've been memorizing, been listening to maybe some podcasts, you're reading some books, you're growing, something happens and you got fear, well, you're not just looking at the problem. You're looking down. You're like, oh, I got a nice harness on. Oh, there's a rope hooked to me. And, oh, it's hooked to that cable up there. And that cable's supposed to hold like 5,000 pounds, and I don't weigh 5,000 pounds. I'm not going to put that kind of force on that cable. And there's a... You know, in, when you go down to the ropes course, there's a facilitator that stands behind you and gets everything ready. And I'd look at that facilitator as the person that represents God. And God's going to take care of you. He's going to look at that harness. He's going to make sure everything's tied up, cinched up, good to go. Uh, uh, what's the word? The clips. Carabiners are all clipped in, and you're all double locked, and you've got all the knots tied the right way and not wrong. No slip knots, none of that junk. We're going to have the good, solid knots. God, uh, that facilitator is like God in the instance where I'm sitting on that. He's taking a look at everything. He's got you squared away. You're ready to go. But all you're stuck at is looking at a problem. Now, as you're sitting on the edge of that platform, you're kind of dangling. And you can kind of see the white legs dangling there. Um, you're just dangling on there, and, and the, the guy behind you says, he's telling you, I've done this and this and this and this is safe and you're all hooked up and you're ready to go and he says, all you need to do is lean forward. All you got to do is lean forward. Well, the first time you do it, you're kind of like, oh, lean forward. 
I sure hope this stuff works. I sure hope it works. And eventually you get up enough guts and they tell you to scream bloody murder or something like that. And you scream all the way down the, the zip line and you're like, wow, that was about a minute of, of just terror sitting on the edge of that thing. And then about a half a second of, whoops, oh, it's got me. Woo! And you're having the time of your life. And if you do this kind of thing, um, the more and more I facilitate a ropes course, the more and more I'm comfortable doing the stuff that I don't like heights. I really don't. Um, I'm glad I got ropes holding me in. But I'm not really a fan of, you know, throwing myself over 45 feet of ground. I'm just not into that. Um, but the more we get in and quit focusing just on that problem and just take that leap of faith, that step of faith, and realize that God has prepared us, that we've done our homework, we've got the things done to get us ready to do what God has called us to do, the, the more chance we have of having the time of our life. And each one, it, each one seems to be harder because the pole seems to get hard, higher and higher. But each one, the more times you face your fear and you re rely on God's word and the tools that he's given us to keep ourselves safe and the people around us, the more exciting crazy life is. It is exciting. I mean, it's crazy, but it's, it's kind of exciting. So to get down to it, what am I talking about? I mean, we're talking about being all in. We're talking about... Um, a poker term in a, in a church service, but being all in for Christ. And when I thought about this, I thought of a word that I really didn't want to share. I, I, hate, I hate this word sometimes. And, I, and the word is obedience. Uh, and when I think about obedience, I'm thinking about, oh great, Kinsey's coming back from grandma and grandpa's and they got her all hopped up on sugar and it's 10 o'clock at night and I got to get her down for bed and she's got to... I'll get her to her bed, and she'll tell me she's got to go potty, and then this and that and the other thing, and I'm like, oh, Kenzie, could you just be obedient? Could you just do what I ask you to do? And it usually takes a little bit of time, but I've, I figured out a little bit of an answer to that. If you send them pre-sugared, pre-sugared, yeah, it's kind of fun. But obedience, um, and, and what I'm thinking about is obedience in our life and our responsibilities, obedience in our habits, obedience in, you know, not giving ourselves this glass ceiling that stops us from what do, God has put a passion in our heart for, obedience with guilt, let it go, obedience with failure, get over it, God has better stuff for you obedience with fear just just trust him just trust him and really you know obedience if you don't do it I'd call it sin okay so we talk about sin here it's not really a dirty word but um, the two types of sin I was thinking about were sins of commission and sins of omission and sins of commission to me would be okay I tell a lie there the rules written out in the Ten Commandments you know commit adultery. I've committed that sin. But I'm really thinking more about today sins of omission. God puts a passion in your heart for people. 
you love to serve people. You love to shake people's hands. You like kids. Why not be a greeter? Why not join a home team? Why not get yourself involved? And, and, we're, and some of us are looking at, at uh, getting in the kids' teaching class as that platform. Holy smokes. Three-year-olds, oh no. It'll be over in an hour. And so sins of omission often come into play when we are struggling to hear God. During these times, we seem to always get asked to participate in another activity in church. The most frequent response most of us give is, I'll pray about it. Some of the examples that, that I mentioned previously, um, joining a home team, helping with youth, children, giving to the 100000 match fund, becoming a mentor mom in mops, helping with child care in mops, asking people to come to Texas night, tomorrow night. All you have to do is say tri-tip. Yeah, and poker. But we get so worried about what people are thinking. We have a fear. And I want to bring us back to, um, well, I have a, something I wanted to read first. This is one of my favorite readings. I use this as a rope course all the time. It's called Desert Peak. <clears throat> it says, A man was walking across the desert, stumbling, almost dying of thirst, when he saw a well. As he approached the well, he found a note in a can close by. The note read, Dear friend, there's enough water in this well, enough for all. But sometimes the leather washer gets dried up, and you have to prime the pump. Now, if you look underneath the rock just west of the well, you will find a bottle full of water, corked. Please don't drink the water. What you've got to do is use the bottle of water and pour half in the well, very slowly, and then, oh man, I lost it here, small words. Pour the first half in slowly to uh, loosen up the washer. Then pour the rest in very fast and pump like crazy. Have faith. And when you're done, don't forget to put the note back. Fill up the bottle. Put it back under the rock. Good luck. Have a fun trip. Your friend, Desert Pete. What would you do? When you're on the verge of expiring from lack of water, and in reality, the bottle of water is only enough to quench your thirst, not save your life. Would you have enough courage to risk it all? Story is kind of an allegory about our faith. When I read this, I wonder, did, did the guy go up and try and pump the well first? If I were the guy, I'd probably go to the well and try and pump first, and that's kind of how we all do it. We try and fix our own problem with our own strength. Then he found the, I would say, then he found the, me the written message, which is kind of like God's word. We got a written message. The letter with the, yeah, it's in the letter. And then we have the bottle underneath the rock. Everything's in order, but there's no proof you can really trust Desert Pete. The second element is risk. Here's a man dying of thirst, asked to pour the only water he is sure of down the well. Your faith is going to cost you something. The third element is work. 
Some people have mistakenly interpreted faith as a substitute for work. Faith is not laziness. Desert Pete reminds us that after we trust, risk, that we got to pump like crazy. We got to pump like crazy, people. You know, this is a house that you are needed in. We need you. And most of us here, most of the people in leadership, they're going to welcome you with open arms. Unless you're calling at three in the morning, four or five times a week. (laughs) I'm going to silence that phone tonight. But most of us here that are involved in the church, we love you. We want to see you succeed. We want to see you embrace God's blessings for yourself. Obey, receive what God has in store for you. And you know, the, one of the funnest things about being involved in a ministry is getting to see your friends grow. And for me, the last couple years, you know, had a failure. Man, I have seen so many people grow. People that I just happened to be the person that was around, not that made them grow, but happened to see everything. Got a little, play a little bit of role in that. And I would rather do nothing more than be involved in people's lives and helping you grow. And each, I, that's what I think. But I think the leaders here would do the same. We want to see you grow. We want to see you involved and love Christ and obey what he's calling you to do, the passions he's put in your heart. And uh, it'll give us an opportunity to be more than we could be without each other. Um, There's a quote that I like. It's my favorite quote from a book I've read in the last couple years that I started reading Christian books. And it's, uh, God wants you to get where he wants you to get more than you want to get there. He wants you to gain the level of success that he wants you to get to, that you want to get to more than you want to get there. He is not in the business of being excited about you getting all bent out of shape and having failure and hurt and guilt and pain. He is in the business of lifting you up, blessing you, teaching you. And, uh, and I love him for that. So as we close, um, it, it, this message, I, I wasn't really focusing on people. If you're here and you don't know Christ, that wasn't necessarily what I was thinking about. I was thinking about those of us that know Christ. We know what to do. And so um, I'm I'm not necessarily thinking I'm going to ask people to invite Christ into your life, although if that is something that you want to do this evening, um, by all means, we have people that go, prayer uh, prayer team that goes back here, and if that's something you want to do and you want to go all in for Christ, hey, do it. 